and welcome to Medicine in the Kitchen, where we empower you with simple solutions to everyday health concerns. Welcome back to Medicine in the Kitchen, episode 59. Once again, I'm Felicia. And I'm Yasul, and we're your guides to empower health. Today, we're going to be talking about iron deficiency and anemia. So this is something that I think we both have had experience with and have had clients and patients with with this with this issue I guess funny enough I have more friends and clients that have this yeah yeah that's I feel like I have a bit of both it's pretty common but what I do also find is sometimes like it's it, I feel like it's gotten so common that sometimes when people have low energy they're like oh it's because my iron is low and that's not always the case Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's good that we're, we're going to clear some things up around that. I mean, we can probably give a slight definition as to what anemia kind of is so that people kind of know if they've never heard that word before. Yeah. It's, um, would you say like a condition that your body, especially your red blood cells do not carry enough oxygen around the tissues because I mean, they are lacking the iron that binds that oxygen to it. Yeah, yeah, so ex- exactly, I would definitely agree with that. The the one thing I would mention though is that so anemia because iron deficient anemia tends to be the most common and we will talk about how actually I'll kind of get into that now. There are like different types of anemia. So anemia like you said refers to the body not having enough red blood cell, well, not necessarily enough red blood cells, but basically your red blood cells can't bring enough oxygen to all the tissues in your body for some reason. And that's often an iron deficiency, but there can be other reasons for that as well. Um, So another really common reason for that is actually a B12 deficiency. and that one is known as pernicious anemia. Um, so those are probably the two most common types. But then you could also have anemia if you're if you don't have enough red blood cells. So maybe you've just had a trauma and a lot of bleeding, or maybe you have heavy periods and you're losing a lot of red blood cells during your your monthly cycle. Um, there, so there can be a few different reasons for, for why you might have anemia. I think the most common, like you said, are the B12 deficiency and the iron deficiency anemia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, those are, those are usually the most common because I feel like usually the other ones, it's easier to be like, yeah, this is, this is the reason for them. But yeah. And like you said, most of the time, the anemia comes from like feeling very, like, the symptom, the most common symptom is being tired, constantly being tired. I mean, that's not the only reason why you can be feeling that way, but it's one of the main things. Exactly. And um, maybe we should go through some of the other symptoms of yeah, you of go for it. anemia too. And they are very like non-specific in that like, like I feel like if we go through the symptoms, most of the people listening to this will be like, I have that. I must have iron deficiency anemia. 
I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're going to list some of them. Be like, yeah, that's me right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, so the most common symptom would be the the low energy, but then you also have, can have things like cold hands and feet, um, shortness of breath, muscle aches. And these are all basically signs that your body's not getting enough oxygen or circulation, but these can also be signs of, of many other things. So take that with a grain of salt, I guess. It's not the only thing that defines anemia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then I guess certain things that can put you at risk of anemia. Being a woman is one of them. Yeah, um, and do you know why that might be? Usually because, you know, we menstruate. Exactly. Usually if I see a male with iron deficiency or a male with anemia in general, I'm usually wondering really what's up because they shouldn't be bleeding anywhere sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're not getting enough iron in their diet. Which was my other one is like usually vegetarians or vegans tend to have uh, anemia or iron deficiency at least. Yeah, yeah. And um, well, the vegetarians too can also, are also at higher risk for the pernicious anemia um, with the B12. Because that's mainly found in animal products. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you can get the sublingual tablets. Um, I usually buy the sublingual ones, which I find are better and quicker at the B12 absorption. You can get the other tablets, but sublingual usually is better. And uh, you can use things like nutritional yeast, which also has the B12. There are a few fruits and vegetables that carry B12 and stuff, but usually the higher amounts and probably the more bioavailable ones are in animal-based products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like that you mentioned the sublingual B12 um, because, yeah, it's so it's so much better absorbed. And I find with so many people having digestive issues um, and not absorbing things properly, usually, well, not always, but sometimes that's a, that's a cause of why they're, they're, they have anemia in the first place. Um, if you have the sublingual B12, you're sort of bypassing that whole digestive system and, and getting it in that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's great. Honestly, I, I love it because I do generally try to eat mostly vegetarian slash vegan. I know I can't because my doctor has told me that my iron goes down real quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's why like, I find that the B12 ones, especially sublingual, aside from knowing the fact that it bypasses the gut, I find that it actually works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So... I feel like we kind of covered what anemia is and the different types. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of wanted to go into testing because clearly the signs and symptoms are hmm, anything and everything goes as anemia kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's where testing comes in really handy. And if you've ever had blood work done 
um, by your family doctor or your naturopath. Um, if they're if they're taking your blood to do like an overall check sort of thing, most times um, the doctor will order what's called a CBC, which is looking at your blood cells specifically. So that's looking at your red blood cells, um, your your white blood cells, which is part of the lymphatics and immune system sort of thing. Um, but what, what we're really kind of focused on when it comes to the red blood cells, how many red blood cells you have. So if there's too few red blood cells present, that's when the diagnosis of anemia comes up. And then from there, we want to figure out, okay, why are there not enough red blood cells? So to do that, that's when we start to look at other things. So in that CBC that I, that I sort of talked about already, um, we also look at um, features of the red blood cells. So um, their size, their distribution, um, that kind of gives us an idea of, of what might be happening. So there, we can kind of go into a whole bunch of other things there, which I won't because I feel like it'll get too confusing for me and everyone listening and you. <laughs> um, I don't know how, how to make this not confusing. Maybe I should not go into too much detail. <laughs> um, you have different tests for different types of anemia I guess you could say right yeah yeah like you have the basic one that tells us like you have a low blood count and then we can start going into details of which kind of anemia we kind of are experiencing there you go there you go that's that sounds a lot better <laughs> um, uh yeah so so yeah like Hazel said um there are different kinds of anemia we we look in the blood work to kind of see what kind of anemia you have. And then that's when we'll look at your, so when we look at your iron levels, we don't actually look at iron most of the time. So the test for iron in the blood is usually a pretty expensive one and it's not one that's often run. What we look at instead is your ferritin levels. So ferritin, is not the amount of iron you have in your blood circulating at that moment. It's how much iron you sort of have stored up. So ferritin is, is a way to measure stored iron. So that's what we look at when we're looking for iron deficiency. So um, if you have a low ferritin, usually that's a good indicator that your, your red blood cells aren't getting enough iron. Mm -hmm. Makes sense so far? Yeah, yeah. Your, your guys' tests are like way more accurate than the ones we can do because we can't do any of the actual like blood work. We have to rely on like checking the skin, checking the eyes and stuff like that. And one of my favorites, though not accurate, is like grabbing a gold ring and rubbing it on your face to see if you have like a grayish or black line. Yeah, but that's always really intrigued me, actually. I've never really been able to find or I don't know if I've even really looked into how accurate that is but it always intrigues me that that like that black line that appears it like actually appears and I'm like yes it does 
like the first time I did it, I was like, is that dirt? Was the ring dirty? But it actually, the color of the skin changes. Yes, it does. And it doesn't so happen like, in everyone. No, it doesn't. Some people say, you know, it's not real. It reacting with the acidity in your skin, so it doesn't count. But I find that, I mean, it hints at something being up in the body. Not necessarily, you know, you're anemic, but maybe you should look into it versus like what you guys do, which is more clinical and it's been tested multiple times. So you have more precise indications of like, yes, this person's anemic or this person is borderlining something. We need to bring them back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess like a blood test would be maybe a little bit more objective than something like the, the gold ring, but I'm always, I'm always really interested in, in things like that, like the, like telling an iron deficiency from, from the skin, or even like from looking at the sort of pink part under your eyelid. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of a, a good way to look at whether or not anemia might be an issue because in someone with anemia, you would have like a very pale um, under the eyelid as opposed to that nice pinky red sort of sort of color. Mm-hmm. So I find I find ways like that to be really even though it might not be as scientific. Yeah, uh, it might not be as scientific, I guess, or as like black and white in that like this is how much iron you have in your body right now that we looked at in your blood. It, I guess it's not as empirical is the word I'm looking for. Yes. Um, but it's super handy and it's how they treated things in the past. And like even just having sort of experience in um, shadowing a doctor in India where resources were tight and not there weren't resources for everyone to get a blood test skills like that were like amazing to have because it's you're you're interacting with the person and you're asking questions and i i feel like a lot of those skills have kind of been lost especially with everything being especially these days with everything being virtual and you you can't really do that um, no, but um, at the same time, I feel that, you know, it's a great way for patients to kind of like do a check in with themselves. They can check underneath like the left section of the eye and be like, oh, yes, I do see a slight change as I modify my diet or take certain supplements or whatever. Same thing with the ring. Be like, I've done nothing different. Let's check again with the ring. Oh, the color slightly less or it's not showing up as much. For example, my mom, she used to get a really thick black line. And as we started changing stuff for her, it started getting like more grayish to a point where she doesn't get it anymore. Amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's so empowering, right? It's like you, you get to check things on your own and you don't have to go in to get a blood test. And not that that's not helpful. Exactly. It's, you uh, still should, but like. Yeah. You, you have more tools to use yourself and it improves your relationship with your body because you see how dynamic and amazing bodies are yeah um 
yeah, so a few different ways to kind of look for your your blood status or iron status, I guess. Um, some might be more reliable than others, but there are, there are lots of ways to kind of check in on how your body's working. There's always options. Mm-hmm. So um, we talked about some of the reasons why people might be like deficient. Do you have anything else aside from like being a woman or being um, vegan as being one of the higher reasons why you might have this deficiency? Because I know that generally it's uh, celiac disease, like you got another gut related issues that can lead to anemia due to malabsorption. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably, that probably covers the main reasons for yeah, yeah, th- that would cover the main. The other interesting thing, though, that I wanted to mention was having too much iron. So there are people mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum who have too much iron or their ferritin is too high. And what's kind of interesting to note about that is, there, again, there can be a whole bunch of different reasons for why that's the case. Um, but one of the reasons for that and one of the sort of more common reasons that I see lately is is inflammation. So someone who has a lot of inflammation happening um, can have increased ferritin stores. See, I was going to think you were going to say you were of Irish descent because usually Irish people tend to create more or they're better at absorbing iron and so tend to like actually need to consume less and donate more blood. Okay, that's interesting. I actually didn't know the Irish descent piece, but I I think you're probably talking about hemochromatosis, where you have yeah 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 where you have too much iron and and you great blood donors because they have so much extra, um, and yeah, you, there can be issues with having too much iron, so it can be like a medical necessity to to donate blood sometimes. Um, but yeah, I didn't know the Irish piece. And I'm feeling yeah, it's usually the Irish people that tend to have that. That yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's probably something I should know, but I'm glad I learned it today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's another cause of of increased ferritin. But yeah, no, I, I have worked with a couple of patients who had a lot of inflammation happening and a lot of their inflammatory markers were high and the ferritin was high. And as we started to decrease the inflammation, the ferritin went down as well. And that's good because usually, I, well, I would not have expected that high inflammation would be a result of like high iron, but that is excellent stuff to know. See, we both learned something today. Mm-hmm. Always learning. That's a good sign. <laughs> exactly. And um, I think we want to kind of like talk a little bit more about where you can get iron from because I know sometimes doctors recommend iron supplements, whether in liquid form or capsule form, and that can be very, very harmful to the gut. A lot of people you generally talk about feeling painful after they have it and different things. So um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or we can jump straight to other food sources where you can get iron from. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great point about the iron supplements. Um, I find 
a lot of people end up starting on the iron supplements. Um, and if the, the main cause of their, their poor iron absorption is digestive issues, then the iron supplement almost only exacerbates that and makes things a little bit worse. But what I find, and some some people I have had start an iron supplement and they do better. And obviously, it it depends on the supplement itself and the quality and and all of that dosage. Mm -hmm. Um, And but then I do find there's quite a few people who start the supplement and they're like, it's really hard on my stomach. It didn't make a difference, so I stopped taking it. Mm-hmm. probably what I hear the most often and yeah people are usually really interested to hear about how they can get more iron into their diet and I feel like that's your specialty yes it is and I think um, I'm going to start with two different things so there are two different types of irons you can get and I think this is also found in the supplement section but you can get the non-heme iron and the heme iron so the non-heme iron is usually well, it is the iron found in like vegetables, so like legumes, nuts, seeds, and all those leafy greens. And you can also have that being used to fortify your cereals and tofu and other grains. The heme iron refers to the iron found in hemoglobin, so, aka the blood that Felicia was talking about. And it's usually found in animal-based products that are like mostly meats. And I mean, as in all forms of meat, <laughs> including sea animals, right? So that's usually where you have it. But the other factor that kind of plays a huge uh, part, well, yeah, it's a huge part of like iron absorption is the bioavailability. So we always see like that old cartoon with Popeye and he eats the spinach and everything and he gets super strong. Yes, that's awesome. But the availability of the actual iron in that spinach is a lot less than it would be in a piece of meat. And I know that, oh God, I've seen so many of these posts on Instagram and I've seen them at school and I've seen them everywhere, how much iron you can get in a vegetable or a fruit or bean or whatever versus the amount of iron in a piece of meat. Yes, sometimes the um, plant-based iron is a lot higher, but how much of that you can actually absorb is a little bit less. I think we've talked about um, the like likely um, attracts like kind of theory. It's kind of like that with regards of how easy, how much easier it is for human gut to digest heme iron versus non-heme iron. So another thing about the availability of this product, we have to talk about the absorption. So <laughs> iron binds really easily with calcium. So again, talking about spinach, well, not binds, but they compete. Spinach usually is a dish that people, well, everybody adds cheese to it. It tastes amazing. Or some form of dirty dairy to it. And God, I love it. I don't know mm. about you, but it's amazing. Spinach and feta? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I was talking to my friend and she's like, but my, my pasta, I need to stuff it with that. I'm like, I know it tastes great, but it's not <laughs> the best. So um, calcium actually inhibits the absorption of iron in the body and Mm. that if you have iron deficiency you kind of want to stop it as much as possible it's actually been suggested that if you have any like this is not just with plants this is also like if you have 
pasta or a lasagna or like pizza or any other dish that has like cheese and meat product, it's going to do the same thing because the iron is there, dairy is there with calcium, so they're not going to work together. On the contrary, if you have things that are higher in uh, vitamin C, such as a kiwi, a bell pepper, a citrus of any kind, it's going to actually boost the absorption of iron in your system, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Other things that kind of affected is high fiber. So the sad part is about the best places to get iron in plant-based foods tend to have high fiber. One of the way to semi-manage it is not eating the vegetables raw and trying to, again, involve those things that are high in vitamin C and vitamin A to kind of boost the absorption in the body. And if you're going to have any form of dairy, try to, you know, wait a couple hours maybe till it kind of goes into your gut and they don't have that ability to fight one another for it. Same with anything with high caffeine. So obviously no energy drinks, no coffee, eh, chocolate's a bit of an issue there. You want to try to avoid that because it will cause irritation. It will also cause the fight between them. And this applies to a lot of other um, minerals. So generally magnesium is the one that's easiest to absorb, even with all these issues, followed by iron, which again, we've talked about, it has a lot of competition and calcium because calcium likes to get in there whenever it can. Um, So plants that are really rich in iron So we have all forms of peas and beans are really, really high, especially like lentils, tofu, tempeh, which can be fortified. Kidney beans, chickpeas are also really great. So that's why they're amazing meat substitutes. Uh, You can find also enriched grains. So Cheerios is one of them. I remember my professor mentioning why Cheerios are usually the first foods introduced to babies is because by the time babies are able to actually consume solid foods, their iron has depleted so you want to kind of give them something that will increase their their iron absorption in their bodies without harming them through all those supplements and cheerios is one of the grains that has been fortified for like forever and a half ago with iron so that they can start eating and getting that iron and stuff licking sand other like cereals breads and oat brands have it as well even some rice so you just have to look for it on the labels that it says enriched with iron So fruits are usually not something I generally associate with having high iron, but um, dates, figs, raisins, prunes, prune juice, those tend to have a lot of high iron, just obviously cautious because they're very, very sweet. So if you are trying to manage your blood sugar, maybe not so much going for these kind of fruits. And I find that If they are dry, the iron concentration is higher. Why? I actually don't really fully know, but that tends to be the case. We've talked about animal-based meats, so all meats tend to have high iron. Red meat tends to have the most. Organ meat is the second one as well. It's always been high in like lots of nutrients and eggs as well. So eggs and liver are usually the easiest ones to access. You can get some really good irons and other like minerals from that aside from that we have veggies generally the dark leafy greens which have a lot of magnesium so if you're generally a stress baby like myself Mm -hmm. that will help a lot but aside from that you have like the spinach uh the broccoli string beans potatoes cabbage brussels sprouts 
tomato paste and tomato-based products tend to have a lot of iron and it's extra helpful because they're also high in vitamin C. Mm -hmm. And for the dark leafy greens, you have like the collards, the kale and the dandelion and dandelion is amazing for multiple reasons. Dandelion is amazing for multiple reasons. Right? I love it. And now these ones are some of the people get surprised about because usually when we talk about like iron and supplements and foods rich in like a lot of like minerals, they don't think it's yummy, but molasses, <laughs> blackstrap molasses is very, very high in iron mm-hmm. and it's delicious. It so is. Yeah. You can substitute some of the sugary stuff for it. You can also add pumpkin seeds. And you can have flax seeds, sesame seeds, almonds, cashews, pine nuts, pistachios, macadamia, and hemp. So I'm actually kind of happy that means that most of my products that I bake with, like I use molasses, I use pumpkin seeds, I use flax. So I do try to like include something that has iron, even the hemp. But again, just try, like if you are dealing with a lot of anemia or you think you have anemia, try separating uh, dairy from like these products and adding stuff like I said about peppers, citruses, berries, kiwis to see if the iron reception is different if it makes a big change as well as things with vitamin A such as carrots, sweet peas, kale has both, squash, again peppers, cantaloupes, apricots, oranges and peaches which I mean you can always incorporate in salads and with other other dishes i've done like a really nice chicken with apricot glaze and it turned out amazing that sounds amazing it was really good i can't find the recipe again but it was so good Mm, yeah that sounds good so there's multiple ways you can still get delicious tasting food just maybe with no yogurt cheese or milk (laughs) exactly yeah um and i i think the Cooking piece is important to highlight too. I know you talked about it, um, but especially when it's cold Canadian winters, you want to make sure you're eating all those things cooked because it increases the absorption of not only iron, but other nutrients as well. And it's easier on your digestive system. Exactly. I think overall cooked foods generally tend to be easier on the digestive system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, in the summer when it's hot and most people are at their best, maybe not you because I know how much you love the heat. <laughs> um, but then it's it's a lot more it's a lot easier on your system to be eating those cold raw foods than it is when it's cold outside and you're feeling cold too. Well, you want to eat with the season, right? So you yeah. don't always get to have a lot of fresh vegetables and a lot of fresh fruits in the winter. I mean, yes, we do magic with greenhouses, et cetera, et cetera. But you can still eat things like cabbage, Brussels sprouts, potatoes, like we mentioned a few of these things and nuts and seeds and like dried fruits in the winter. And once it gets to the summer, you can feast on all the fresh stuff. Exactly. And I, I like that you mentioned the dates, too. Did you? I think you mentioned Yes, it. I did. Yeah. Um, those are great to have in the winter, and they don't spoil, and they're sweet, and 
They're a fruit and they're high They're iron. rich in nutrients. And if you really want something sweet and stuff, but getting dessert, have a handful of dates and you're mm. good to go. Or even the, I love the medjool dates. Those like oh yeah, big dates juicy are so ones. Good. They're so good. Like even after one of those, sometimes if I'm like craving something sweet, I'll be like, okay, I'll have one of those and then I'll have chocolate. And mm-hmm. then I have one of those and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I need the chocolate. And they're, I, I really enjoy them. But then other times I fill them with chocolate, which defeats the iron absorption purpose. And if they are way too dry for you, you know what? So right in a bit of hot water. You can drink whatever is left into your tea or whatever as a natural sweetener. And mm. it softens them up as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. You can make energy balls with them too. I love yes. using them for the energy balls. Yeah. They're like a great way to hold things together. Like in, I don't know if that came across right. Yes. But, <laughs> but like if you want a ball of like season things yeah throw a date in there and you have a chewy ball of goodness same with other um like bases i use for like the like as a crumble or stuff like that dates are great for it Mm. it really helps bind a lot of the a lot of the ingredients together Ooh, i've never made a crumble with dates that sounds Mm, good and i think we covered a lot of it. We've mentioned a few of the supplements. We've covered a lot of the food items where you can find them. We talked about different types of it. And we didn't go into detail, but the two most uh, common ones. And I think I've mentioned before where you can get B12. Again, eggs, meat, and a few vegetables as well. But there are possibilities to get it, whether you're meat eater or vegetarian. There's always options. There's... Luckily, we have supplements as well that are more friendly. I don't know what else. Tests. Random tests you can do at home and with a licensed professional. Exactly. Um, And you can even go ask the licensed professional which tests you can do at home if you are curious. But I think we mentioned most of them here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we... We pretty much covered it. Hopefully that clears up some, some things about iron deficiency and anemia. And if not, you can always reach out to us and we will try to clarify a few more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love the I love how you always have so many food options to present. And I love how you're always like, it can taste good, guys. It can taste good. And it's true. Because it's one of the major things I find people struggle with when making a lifestyle change is, well, I have to sacrifice this. This is going to be bad. It's going to not taste good because I can't have this in it anymore. I'm like, no, you can still make it taste amazing and have something that has a lot more like micronutrients and all, all these other great things. You just have to, you know, change a little bit. Give it a try. Yeah. It will be challenging at first, but like, wasn't it the same when you started like making the other food? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, 
I don't know. I find it, I mean, we might be biased because we just love experimenting with food, but it's so much fun, I think. It is. It totally is. And you can have great time with friends and family and trying different things, getting them involved in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't see why not, right? Yeah, exactly. But I think that's a great spot to kind of end our episode. Yeah, yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. Mm-hmm. So don't forget to, you can rate, comment, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also donate to our podcast on our coffee page, Medicine in the Kitchen. So it's ko-fi.com slash medicine in the kitchen altogether. Invite your friends to join our community and improve their health. You can follow us on our social media, Sweet Nutritionista and Alicia Asenza ND. And we'll be posting as often as we can. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. And happy healing.